This is C-SPAN's Afterwards podcast. This week, Daily Beast journalist Kelly Weil discusses her book, Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. She reports on the rise of the flat earth movement and other conspiracy theories disseminated through online platforms. You mentioned YouTube, and that was one of the biggest sources of uh, energy for the re-emerging flat earth movement. And the reason for that is that YouTube has a video recommendation algorithm. They want you to keep watching videos that are engaging to you, that will keep you on the website. And so it recommends things that it thinks you will like. And unfortunately, the things that people like are often um, sensational. She's interviewed by Reason Magazine books editor and author Jesse Walker. Well, hello, Kelly. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Congratulations on the book. Um, It's about flat earthers. And I guess the first question I've got is, how did you find yourself on the flat earth beat? Um, When did you start writing about flat earthers and people who believe the earth is flat? And um, how did you uh, come to decide there was a book here? Um, Well, my day job is as a reporter at the Daily Beast, where I cover extremism and fringe internet communities, and a lot of that involves passively monitoring the weird parts of the internet. So in around 2017, I started noticing that people on extremist forums were posting about Flat Earth, and I thought they were just kidding. I thought that was too crazy for anyone to believe, but I was curious about why they were saying that, so I dug into it, and I found that not only were these people very serious, but that there is a large Flat Earth movement, Um, and I started going to their conferences and talking to them. And around the time I filed my first dispatch from a Flat Earth conference for the Daily Beast, I realized I could have written 50,000 more words on it. So I've stuck around. Now, when they say that the Earth is uh, is flat, what are they imagining? I, I know there's some slightly different versions of the Flat Earth cosmology, but sort of just walk us through what they picture when, when they see the Earth in their head. Sure. So you are right. There are several competing models, but the gist of it is that they believe Earth is flat like a Frisbee. And they will say that it has a uh, a ring of ice around the outside. And most of them say it's enclosed within a dome, almost like a big snow globe. And and the North Pole is in the center. Are are there any versions where the South Pole is in the center and they have flame wars or... (laughs) I've never seen a version with the South Pole in the center, but you're so right to point out the flame wars because there are these competing ideologies and people will debate what they think gravity really is. They don't believe in gravity, but they'll argue that maybe the reason we don't float off the surface of the Earth is due to buoyancy or other people will say it's because the Earth is accelerating upwards. So there are strange little twists on the theory and it's not a uh, complete lockstep within the movement. Before we get very far into the current um, Flat Earth movement, I want you to talk some about the history of Flat Earthism. I I think a lot of people have this vague idea that there used to be a time when everyone thought the Earth was flat, and then uh, around the time of Columbus and Magellan, people figured out that it wasn't flat, and there were a few holdouts, and they formed the Flat Earth Society. And that is not, in fact, what the history looks like at all. Um, so where was uh, flat earthism as we think of it today born and and when? Sure. So you're right to point out that that um, 
history of flat earth is kind of a myth. We've actually known for thousands of years that we live on a globe because it's very easy to prove with basic math, with basic observations. But what happened in the mid 1800s was there was uh, this quack political philosopher and uh, quack doctor who started positing that the earth was flat based on his observations on a failed socialist commune. And what happened in that moment was he was making these theories during a time when the natural sciences were taking on a much more important role in daily life. Um, theories of evolution were starting to come to the fore, and those were challenging people's preconceived ideas of the role of religion in daily life and the role of humanity in relation to nature. So in that moment, a theory like flat earth was strangely alluring to people who wanted to dismiss emerging sciences. And um, this flat earth founder understood that. He started selling books and having lecture tours and really making quite a lot of money off of this theory. Um, and he built a movement and it's simmered along sometimes underground, sometimes a bit more in the open for uh, more than 150 years now. Now, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. He sort of he was on this uh, socialist commune. Um, there's also this uh, attraction to, as you were saying, these sort of reactionary ideas and how to like um, keep uh, you know keep modernity at bay. What was the relationship, do you think, between these two, uh, between these different uh, forms of ideas that were sort of swirling around at the time, um, and and in the movement, not just in the ether. Mm -hmm. I think there was a very strong reactionary current to early flat earth theory. It was, um, it was strongly religious. It, flat earth theory doesn't need to be religious in nature. It has its own theories almost as if it's a science, which of course it isn't. But it has always centered religion, and it's always centered the idea that, um, that the Bible or a very literal a very literal reading of scripture can tell believers more than the scientists or the elites who are pushing uh, a phony model who are trying to keep people in the dark. So from its incarnation and onward, Flat Earth has really worked as a way to um, reject rationalism, reject science, and to reject, I think, the um, the side effects of secularism. And for a lot of people, that is a powerful political motive as well as just a conspiracy belief. Now, when you were looking at the sort of 19th century world of you know, the reactionaries, the, uh, the, also the socialists at the uh, opening commune, the, uh, the alternative health nostrums, it sounds a lot like uh, the world we're in today um, in, in a lot of ways. Did, did you like, uh, get a feeling of deja vu in advance as you were looking at these past characters? Um, do you think there's some striking differences worth pointing to? Or did it feel more like um, these are modern people um, just in a pre-internet, pre-television era? You know, in many ways, I did find a lot of the same archetypes emerging in different eras of Flat Earth. You know, the reason people... Uh, are drawn to conspiracy theories has been pretty consistent throughout time. Conspiracy theories speak to um, a de desire we have to find answers that comfort us when there's not enough information or the information we have uh, doesn't affirm our prior beliefs. So in that respect, 
people were coming to conspiracy theories for very much the same reasons in 1840 as they do in 2022. And what struck me reading these old texts was these people would have been YouTubers in the modern day. They were um, promoting funny theories and uh, trying to build very engaged audiences. They were relatable figures in their way, um, but they didn't have the benefit of social media. Now, when I've um, you know interviewed conspiracy theorists and looked through their texts and so on, I've that's one sort of framework, frame of mind I've encountered are people trying to find this sort of simplifying, comforting model. There, there's also some people who just love to complicate things. They they love to find make the world. Um, harder to understand almost, like they want to throw on one um, everything you know is wrong theory after another, even if they don't entirely fit together. Did you encounter a lot of people like that as well? I think there is um, certainly a degree of that in Flat Earth and especially other conspiracy theories that I delved into in this book. I think for some people, the idea of being on this eternal treasure hunt is really compelling. They want to look for clues and pieces of a puzzle that they think will bring together some greater picture. And in fact, there is no greater picture there. They're just um, sort of like magpies picking up little pieces of evidence and um, hoarding them in some mishmash of strange beliefs. And it does actually cause quite a lot of confusion and complication in those people's lives. Uh, I, before we leave the history, I, I'd like you to talk about the story of Zion, Illinois, which nowadays is just a sort of small town in Illinois, probably best known for the fact that Gary Coleman is from there. But a century ago, it was run by flat earthers. Um, and just walk us through the, the rise and fall of flat earthism in Zion. Sure. So in uh, the early 1900s, Zion, Illinois was almost close to a flat-earth cult, and that emerged in a very unusual way. That town was originally founded as a very fundamentalist religious town. It was mainly run by one church who had a very charismatic leader. That leader was quickly deposed um, by another arguably even more ruthless leader um, who, during his time at the head of the church, became a militant flat-earther. And he used that theory to his, uh, to his advantage. He called himself a theocrat, and he absolutely was. He took over the town schools and promoted flat earth theory through them. He would even outlaw references to, um, to like the globe in church hymns. So he ruled with an iron fist, and part of his very militant belief was flat earth and he had this town under his thrall for decades and that is what people believed at the time. Yeah, and um, there was even a, a case with a disputed election. Uh, another one of those uh, feels pretty modern as you're reading the old story. Do you want to talk a bit about what happened there? Absolutely. I think this was 1919 and yes, there were enough um, outsiders in the town who weren't uh, members of the church that they said, this has gone on too long. We need to vote this fellow out. And they succeeded. They um, voted for a mayor who uh, was not aligned with the church, was not aligned with these kooky theories. And rather than accept defeat, this flat earth leader, um, Wilbur Glenn Voliva, said, no, no, there's been a mistake. 
there's been fraud in this election. People have been importing votes from outside the city limits. Uh, he said he was going to hire lawyers who would expose the fraud. And it turned into this wild scene where they had two competing police chiefs who one built a barricade in the jail and said he wouldn't come out. The other was threatening to storm it. They had uh, supporters on either side ready to make war against each other. And I wish I could say that there was a very peaceful long-term resolution. Um, but the reality was that even though the courts decided in favor of the real winner, the uh, non-flat earth faction, uh, the flat earthers took power after. Uh, it, they didn't uh, stay defeated very long and Zion remained a flat earth town for a couple more decades. If someone were to go to Zion uh, today, is there a flat earth museum or anything? Is this history part of what's uh, told there or is it sort of swept under the rug, not talked about much? Um, it's a mix. They do have a lot of history of the old times. There was um, a church leader who built this stunning house and that's been turned into a historical society. And I was also uh, very grateful for some help from a librarian there who helped me find a lot of historical records. So it's not swept under the rug, but it's also not something that people keep alive. And I can sympathize with that. It's a strange episode in the town's history. The other um, moment of power for flat earthism that you mentioned in the past was in South Africa. Do you, do you want to say a bit about the time they had a, a flat earther? As, as Was it their president? What was, what was the office that was held? Sure. So this was a short-lived South African Republic. This was, uh, the leader was Kruger, uh, namesake of Kruger uh, National Park there. And he was a flat earther. And he would get very irate with people who said, who talked about traveling the world, you know, sailing around the world. And he would say, no, no, you're sailing within the world. Because he did not believe that Earth was round and that you could transverse it that way. And a ship, he thought it was a disc that you could just travel across the flat surface. And there are several uh, very funny accounts of navigators who met with him who realized that he, he was pretty serious about this belief and he didn't um, take kindly to references to the globe. So after flight comes along, and then even more so after space flight comes along, flat earthism goes into decline for pretty obvious reasons. I mean, to the extent that it was even a substantial thing before then. But you write about one guy basically keeping it alive um, with the Flat Earth Society. But even then, it's within its membership, a lot of the people, and quite possibly most of the people, were treating it as a joke. And that's kind of a theme that's throughout this book. Sometimes you can't tell who's kidding and who's not. Um, you've got a great line in here that the line between skeptic and believer can be porous. Can you talk some about that and just how you dealt with it in your reporting, like not always being able to tell which people were taking this seriously and which people were, you know, on at least some level trolling. Sure. So it's funny because there has always been trolling engagement with flat earth theory. That dates back to its inception. People would show up at those original lectures in the 1800s and just come there to heckle, just, you know, make fun of the lecturer or pretend to take his side. Because in essence, I think Flat Earth is kind of a funny theory. It's um, understandable to laugh at. But what happened um, through you know, mid-20th century and into the 21st is that 
The Flat Earth Society, although it was founded in earnest by a flat earther, got a lot of its lifeblood from people who were joining as a joke. Um, and they would, you know, apply for a membership card, and it was all a big laugh. And yet, in some ways, that sustains this movement. It kept it around, um, and even the joking engagement was enough to keep the idea on the forefront of people's minds. And although we can't be entirely sure how much of Flat Earth Society leadership was always earnestly Flat Earth, they kept the founding documents in circulation. They um, had magazines, and eventually they digitized those documents. And those documents became a foundation for a later movement of Flat Earthers that was very serious indeed about their beliefs. And one interesting thing about the Flat Earth Society that you mentioned was the, uh, when the founder finally died, um, there were t- basically two rival successors, one of whom was sincere and one of whom was probably kidding. Um, and then these sorts of succession crises keep happening in, in, in the movement, as in a lot of like, fringe movements. Um, do you, um, I, why don't you take us through just sort of like the end of the Flat Earth Society as, as an organization um, and the emergence of the modern um, Flat Earth um, uh, movement online? Uh, you sort of talked about 2014 as the breakthrough year. Um, and we'll get in a moment to, actually, before even, we even get to that, how big is it now? Um, I, I know in absolute terms it's pretty small, but it's obviously much larger than, it, I mean, it's not big, big, but it's not a couple dozen people anymore. How many people would you estimate are sincere flat earthers nowadays? You know, it's really hard to get hard numbers on flat earthers because a lot of people are a little embarrassed about their beliefs. They're not going to come out and say it outright. I can tell you that I've been to Flat Earth meetups where there were um, 600 attendees who were fully on board with the theory. And I've been to multiple Flat Earth conventions at this point. There has been some polling about um, people's belief in Flat Earth. And um, I think maybe the most reliable polling has indicated around 1%. Um, But it's difficult with that kind of questioning on a survey because... uh, People will even answer in jest sometimes, and I think also the questions can be a little leading. So in short, it's hard to tell how many people are flat earthers, but what I want to get at here is that in our modern understanding of the world, there should be zero flat earthers. It's not a valid theory. So the fact that I can show up to a conference and be surrounded by 500, 600 flat earthers, I think that is indicative of a problem in itself. So um, presumably you've also been um, interacting with these folks online, the, uh, the ones who are not going to go to a conference but are willing to be sort of armchair flat earthers. Uh, I, again, I'm asking you to get inside people's heads in a way that you might not be comfortable doing. But I mean, what percentage of, uh, when you were interacting with these folks, how often did you think someone was pulling your leg versus how often did you think this is like the guy at the Flat Earth Conference selling this literature and and trying to organize an expedition to Antarctica? Um, Usually they were quite genuine. Again, it's a little bit harder to tell um, when you're not face-to-face with someone, but there are pretty significant signs. Um, The fact that people invest real money and their real reputation in this theory, a lot of Flat Earthers online are not just reading the material, but they're creating their own YouTube channels. And they're, I think, doing quite a lot of reputational harm for themselves. Um, 
they can often alienate friends and family. And at that point, I think people who were joking would have realized it's not so funny anymore and disengaged with the theory. So now the big question, like what was in the air eight years ago that people got interested in this idea again and this activity in places like YouTube started up? So I think what was in the air was um, were social media algorithms that hadn't quite figured out how to responsibly deal with conspiracy theories. You mentioned YouTube, and that was one of the biggest sources of uh, energy for the re-emerging flat earth movement. And the reason for that is that YouTube has a video recommendation algorithm. They want you to keep watching videos that are engaging to you that will keep you on the website. And so it recommends things that it thinks you will like. And unfortunately, the things that people like are often um, sensational. They are very often something, uh, something like a conspiracy video or a flat earth video that is really, um, it provokes your curiosity and you want to click on it when you see it in the video sidebar. So people who were watching unrelated videos, maybe about outer space or religion or tamer conspiracy theories, would find themselves funneled into a, um, a growing genre of flat earth videos. And people uh, started converting on the basis of those videos. People started making their own flat earth channels. And even people who weren't flat earthers realized that they could get decent engagement and viewership on a video about flat earth because they uh, performed so well in this algorithm. So for about um, five years, from 2014 to 2019, YouTube's recommendations heavily promoted Flat Earth and it lured many people in until they were able to uh, flip the switch and make those videos a little bit more obscure. So the, the algorithms might help explain how people found the videos, but I... I still kind of wonder why this, as opposed to something else, would strike a chord with people. I mean, with a lot of fringe theories, you can make an educated guess. I, I, when people talk about the idea that the world is really a simulation, you can think about early 21st century reasons why someone would sort of feel like a simulated world is an appealing idea. What is it about the flat Earth um, that would be appealing to somebody in the early 21st century when? You know, you're using a medium that's in part relying on things like satellites. Uh, what is appealing about the idea of, of a flat world? You know, there are a lot of uh, alluring components to flat Earth. It's a very, um, it's a very large-scale conspiracy theory. It's not something smaller like chemtrails in the sky. It really invites people to knock down all the facts they previously held and replace them with new information. I think even that in itself is a, an interesting exercise for a lot of people. It leaves a lot of creative space. But one thing that I found in talking to a lot of flat earthers is they found that the theory is actually comforting to them. I remember one saying that um, previously she had felt very small in the scale of the universe. The idea of uh, an infinitely expanding outer space, which flat earthers don't believe in, was frightening to her, and she felt small both literally and theologically in that sense. And when she found flat Earth, that compressed the universe into a very knowable and understandable and safe scale for her. So that's one reason that people will uh, go for the theory. They'll 
go for it because it um, is a foundation on which they can refute things like evolution, um, uh, you know, more secular sciences. So there are a number of reasons. And like I mentioned previously, some people do get into it as a joke because it just sounds so funny. But flat earthers are able sometimes to make arguments that trick people. And so uh, out of a mixture of, I think, motivated reasoning, people want to believe this and um, not doing enough credible research, people do get duped into this belief. Um, I, I want to read a, a passage um, from the book, um, which, which also sort of speaks to the way, this is more about the way people find the uh, information than, um, than um, what they find appealing about it. But speaking of uncomfortable realities, maybe some of Flat Earth's current reach is my fault. Years ago, I started writing about Flat Earth as something close to a joke. I saved the most batshit comments I found in Flat Earth forums. I tweeted about factional rivalries playing out in conspiracy groups. When Trump announced the creation of a Space Force as a new military branch, um, I convinced my editors at the Daily Beast to let me interview the Flat Earth Society about the new organization on the grounds that Flat Earthers generally think space is a hoax. My colleagues and I put in a sarcastic exclusive banner on the story and thought it was very funny. And years later, knowing that Flat Earth has torn families apart and that some Flat Earthers are neo-Nazis who make rap songs about killing people like my own Jewish family, I still find the exclusive banner and really the whole article very funny. It's Flat Earth, for Christ's sake. How absurd. Now, I, I, I appreciate the tension that you're sort of talking about in your, in your thinking there. I mean, how much of the um, modern attention to mo- uh, Flat Earth do you think has come from this media coverage? Um, and what do you think, you know, is the proper role of someone writing about this um, who uh, says this is a good story, this is something I want to write about, but how should I approach it? I think it's a very difficult line to navigate, and it's certainly one that I've done a lot of soul-searching on. Ultimately, I think it's very important that we do interrogate conspiracy theories, and more than that, why people believe in conspiracy theories. The role of conspiracy theories right now is so much larger than something like Flat Earth or something much larger than something like a YouTube algorithm could promote. We have a major political party right now that is promoting really uh, just dangerous conspiracy theories about the 2020 election. So I think a lot of the underlying motivations for belief are similar from flat earth to political conspiracy theories. And for that reason, I think they're very important to interrogate. And I thought flat earth was a good lens to show that the reality of a conspiracy theory or the arguments it makes, the alleged truths of it, aren't so much as important as the emotional appeals. That said, I think we in the media, and I especially uh, consider myself here, need to take a good look at what exactly we're highlighting when we cover conspiracy theories. Is this something that is crucial to our understanding of the world? And uh, I hope that you'll find that my book is, or is it something that's sensational? Is it something that's funny? And um as I alluded to in that passage, I think maybe calling up the Flat Earth Society and asking about Space Force doesn't really contribute that much to the discourse. So it's something that I've learned and grappled with over uh, about five years writing about misinformation now. And I think um, a lot of other reporters have been on a similar uh, knowledge journey and guided by uh, experts and 
people who've been very generous with their time, and uh, I think we're all still learning. For what it worth, it's worth, I think interviewing the Flat Earth Society about uh, the Space Force is a great idea. I, I, once, you, once that has occurred to you, you absolutely, there's, there's no way you can't do a story like that. But I also appreciate the, uh, the thinking that you went through afterwards. Um, so there's, there's more than one kind of flat earther. There's more than one kind of person involved in the movement. Um, can you talk a bit about just sort of the range of personalities, the range of um, backgrounds, and, just, and the range of ways uh, people were engaged with the movement that you encountered? Sure. And you're right that there's no real one profile for a flat earther. I found it to be a multiracial, multi-class movement. Um, I've asked a lot of flat earthers about their politics, and a good number of them describe themselves as kind of politically disengaged. Of course, they believe the government is uh, one great plot to conceal the flat reality. Um, I would say that they broadly skew conservative. I think a lot of that has to do with the very um, religious path that many took to flat earth. But there is a range, and they do, again, range from... um, independence to I have encountered a number of uh, extremely far-right flat earthers and those who even dabble in things like neo-Nazism. Um, how did uh, flat earthism affect, their li- affect people's lives and relationships they get involved, especially if they're, not the on- if they're the only person in their family or friend group that gets uh, converted to this, this idea? Um, very poorly. Flat Earth is not a popular theory. It um, will make you the odd person out at the Thanksgiving table if you start talking about it. And the trouble with it is that it's not just a funny theory. It's something that people believe with all their hearts. And when they find themselves at odds with their friends and their family, they often start to um, find themselves at a certain remove from those people. They get alienated. They... Um, isolate themselves from people who believe in the globe. And I think that is a very destabilizing pattern. I think we need to have those real-world relationships to ground us and to um, firm up our shared reality. But the opposite happens. And when people start to lose real-world connections, they often turn to their online conspiracy communities for friendship and for support. And those communities are going to reinforce their false beliefs and tell them that you are right and your families are um, either actively acting against you or they're, uh, they're blind, they're sheep. And this is, it's a very corrosive pattern of, um, of belief that happens with not just flat earthers, but with other people involved in very strange conspiracy theories. Um. Was there anybody who told you the opposite, who said, oh, actually, everybody loves what I'm talking about. They think I'm the funny guy at the party. Or is that just not something that came up? I've never heard that happen. Okay. Um, you know, it's, it, it's possible. Um, but the only people who give me positive accounts uh, of their social lives post-Flat Earth are uh, people who um, were big hits at Flat Earth conferences and you know, found a small community there. Let's talk about Mike Hughes, who's a fellow you know who comes up a few times in the book. Um, Who is he? Um, How did you meet him? And and what did you learn from your interactions with him? Mike Hughes was one of the most prominent uh, faces of the Flat Earth movement for a a few years. 
He was a really interesting guy um, because he was sort of an evil Knievel figure. He was a stuntman by trade, and he would build these steam-powered rockets. He had this idea that he would launch himself up in a, a, a steam rocket, he would deploy weather balloons, and those would lift him high enough off the Earth's surface that he could take a picture and see whether Earth was flat or round. And he got a lot of attention in the flat Earth community for this, a lot of funding. He had uh, flat Earth slogans all over his rocket. Um, and I talked to him for about a year and a half because I was both intrigued by this venture and also a bit frightened by it. It seems very dangerous. I knew he had had one uh, very dangerous crash that he survived. And you know, he always told me that it would be worth it to go up that high to have his theories validated. Um, but that's not what happened. In February 2020, one of his launches went disastrously wrong and he uh, would have died on impact. So it, he was um, a really tragic case study in how far people will go to explore their beliefs. And I, um, I didn't think he would do it. And it, that actually is what happened. Yeah, you, um, you, you write about... Um thinking that on some level he didn't believe it and that he would keep finding excuses not to do this stunt um, and that you know his death kind of drove home for you that, that he believed it. And then I thought it was interesting that after he died, there were some people suggesting, well, maybe he wasn't sincere and there was kind of a posthumous debate about what he was up to. Do you want to walk people through what happened there? Sure. So after Mike died, his agent said, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth, he was not a flat earther. He was using this theory to raise funds. And that's something I had um, been curious about before. One thing that a lot of flat earthers will do is make conspiracy theories about each other, saying that this person's only in it for the fame. Um, so I started digging into that claim. And, you know, one, one thing that I discovered in talking to Mike for quite a long time is that he was a very earnest conspiracy theorist in other ways. He was um, a believer in things like sovereign citizen legal theory. and um, But he, in his final days, he was always extremely engaged in conspiracy theories. And I spoke with a lot of his friends who said that not only was he a flat earther, we tried very hard to talk him out of this theory. They said there was no convincing him. Um, and maybe the best answer I got was from one of his friends who said, yes, he did get into flat earth from a maybe less than earnest angle. He thought it was an interesting theory and he thought it might help fund his rocket launches. But as he became more involved in the movement, as somebody who was already involved in conspiracy thinking, he started to earnestly believe it. And I think my takeaway here was that even if he was somewhat in doubt in those final moments, he had been spending the past couple years earnestly preaching flat earth and was one of the most recognizable flat earthers. And I think what he did and the beliefs that he lived in public said so much more than doubts he might have entertained in private. The question I had the most about him, and this isn't even so much a question um, for you, though I want to know your, um, your thoughts on it, but just what I was wondering about, um, reading about him as, as a person, is, is this somebody who, um, given his long history of stunts, he eventually would have done something 
dangerous and self-destructive if it, anyway if it hadn't been the flat earth? Or did, was there something about flat earthism that led him to this um, particular fate? And I don't know the answer to that. I, I, you knew him. I mean, you liked him, I should say. I mean, you seemed to really uh, enjoy his company. Um, but what, what's your thought on, thoughts on that? I think there's a good chance of that. One of his good friends did indicate that to me. Um, he was a daredevil by trade. He was someone who was always pushing limits. But I think in a very real sense, um, Flat Earth accelerated that trajectory. And when he died, he was not doing the launch that would have gone all the way up into space. He was doing a, a preliminary one, one that would take him higher than he'd ever been, but not all the way there. And Two people I spoke to said his heart wasn't in it that day. He was kind of rushing it because he wanted to do that space launch, which was um, what he was famous for, what he was um, most known for in the flat earth community. It would have been the proof or lack thereof. And they seemed to think that due to his eagerness to get the ball rolling on his flat earth project, that maybe he, um, he was a little less cautious that day or... He rushed things. Maybe he didn't do his measurements right. So we won't know exactly. The craft was destroyed on impact. And on impact. But um, yes, I think he was always drawn to danger, and I think flat Earth exacerbated that. Now, th- another interesting thing about him was just this, the fact that you clearly personally liked him. Um, there's a, another way that there's a range of people is that some of them come across as, in the book as. Um, Pretty creepy. We'll get into the, the Nazi flat earthers in a bit. Um, but also some of them, I, at least I, I got the impression you were charmed by them on some level. Um, would, would you say that would be a, a fair, fair comment to make? I think that is fair. You know, it's funny, not just with um, flat earthers, but with a whole host of strange political and religious beliefs, even if you don't share them with a person, you can get along with them very well. Um, And I found that time and time again with flat earthers. There's this caricature of them being tinfoil hatters or very dumb, and I didn't find that to be the case. Um, Maybe because I just like chatting with people, but I found that we could hang out, we could grab a drink. Um, And that was true of Mike and with other people. Not everybody. I've received my fair share of insults from that movement, but... uh, I think it's absolutely true that you could be talking to a flat earther and unless they bring up the theory, you wouldn't know it. And, and you also, um, there was at least one moment when you were looking at the historical literature where there was, what was it called, a songwriter's story? What was the name of this text that you discussed? Um, you you, you seem just so utterly charmed by the weirdness of it uh, that, that you, were, you were delighted it existed. Um, what, what, what was that, that text called? I'm, I'm, I'm forgetting the full title. It was like Aleo it was Galileo. Ad- or? Yes, yeah. I think Adrian Galileo, A Songwriter's yeah. Story. Um, this was a very weird and, I think, imaginative book by a, um, an early Flat Earth Movement leader, one of the very rare women uh, leading the Flat Earth Movement. And she was this eccentric English uh, uh, heiress. Her name was uh, Lady Elizabeth Blunt. And she wrote this bizarre book with uh, flat earth sermons in it, but also flat earth songs. She would have sheet music in it. And I would have to go and kind of figure out exactly how the song sounded. And there was something so um, so delightfully offbeat about that for me. Of course, uh, when it gets into the 
actual theories that this book is promoting, I think they are ridiculous and sometimes dangerous. But, you know, sometimes you encounter an artifact like that and you say, eh, it's kind of neat. Um, and, you know, maybe because it's almost quarantined in the past, I don't think about its, uh, its ramifications so much. But I had a very good time delving into that. So you've just been talking about how um, you felt about different flat earthers you met. How did they tend to feel about you? I'm sure, again, there's a range. But what kind of reaction did you get, especially after your stories started appearing and it was clear that you were not just another person at the Flat Earth Conference? There has been a range. And I've you know received uh, very crass messages that I can't repeat on air. But I've also had a bit of... Um, outreach from flat earthers. I think a lot of them, just as we hope that they can change their minds, they think that I might convert to flat earth, um, which is not happening. Um, but I found that even more than wanting to discuss the theory with me, they've wanted somebody to talk to, somebody who is actively listening to them. And that's what I try to do as a journalist. Um, so at Flat Earth conferences, even when I'd been there a couple times and people knew my stance and probably what I was going to write, I found that people would come talk to me, not just about the reasons for their beliefs, but they would soon start to get into um, their pretty deep emotions and the social impact the movement had had on their lives and um, things that they hoped for in the future. And I thought it was very strange that people were opening up to me on that level when, again, there was this supposed antagonism between us. I think a lot of them really just wanted to be heard. Uh, do you know if any of them have, have seen the book yet? I, I, it just came out as we speak, but there have been advanced reader copies um, traveling around. Uh, have you gotten any feedback from someone who got a hold of a review copy and, and read it? You know, I haven't, and it's frustrating because I've actually done some outreach on that. You know, you've got to fact check a book, and we've been doing that with the book and with excerpts of it as well. And uh, I think some folks don't really want to engage. It's one thing to sit down and, you know, we'll have a coffee for an hour and we'll talk about someone's feelings. Um, but I think uh, people are a bit hesitant about how exactly they'll be portrayed in the book and I think I, I'd like to think I did a very honest job and I honored their feelings. Um, but it's, um, it's rough, you know, as uh, <laughs> I don't tend to rewatch my interviews that I do on air. And I think a lot of people don't want to read a book in which they're portrayed. So we'll see, you know, it's, um, it's early days and I'm, my email inbox is always open. If, um, if you were invited to go on a Flat Earth podcast or, or YouTube show to talk about the book, would you go on? No, I wouldn't. You know, I, um, I tend to try and disengage from things that would artificially promote the theory. Um, and in a lot of those cases, uh, they're not really interested in discussion so much, which I'm happy to do, but they want to try and debate. And I think the whole framework of trying to debate Flat Earth is is um, it's a misframing. Because when you pit flat earth against round earth, you're suggesting that there are two equally valid or comparably valid sides of an argument. And there's not. You know, the globe is established science. And uh, trying to debate is, I think, a, a waste of time and energy and credibility even. So I don't 
get involved with that kind of thing. And I also, um, you know, I... I, I don't really like to meddle so much. I know that my presence there um, is, you know, now known. Uh, people, by the end of my reporting, would come up to me because they knew that I was the person writing a book. But I don't want to be in the flat Earth movement. I um, would just much rather mind my own business now. Um, one thing that's come up a, a few times in this conversation is the connection between um, flat Earthism and conspiracy theories. Um, obviously, there's a reason why someone who believes the Earth is flat would be drawn to uh, <laughs> to conspiracy theories. You want to explain, uh, because you have to explain a lot of things by saying they're faked. But even beyond the conspiracies that you need to imagine to um, have a, a, a flat Earth, the people are drawn to other conspiracy theories as well. So setting aside for a moment um, the Nazi flat Earthers, because that's a whole other topic in themselves, could you talk a bit about some of the other um, outside the mainstream ideas that people either in the history or in the contemporary movement um, talked about that you encountered? Sure. So there is a lot of crossover between Flat Earth and other conspiracy movements, and I, I think that's accelerating. It's a trend I've noticed over the past couple years. But one thing to remember is that one of the best indicators for someone's um, their potential to believe a conspiracy theory is whether they believe in other conspiracy theories. People who are drawn to those alternate exp explanations will look for them in other contexts. So one thing that I've found a lot in Flat Earth is an increasing prevalence of the QAnon conspiracy theory. Again, there's no real reason that those two theories should be linked. Um, they don't share many... Uh, claims across the same theory. But I've found that people who are willing to believe that the entire government is uh, concealing the shape of the earth are also willing to believe that Democrats uh, are eating babies, which is a QAnon claim. Um, and so I've seen an increase in sharing uh, QAnon memes in flat earth forums and vice versa, flat earth and QAnon forums. Um, so there has been that cross-pollination. There's always been flat earth used as a uh, reaction against theories that are um, antagonistic to fundamental religious beliefs. So uh, uh, flat earth has been used as a reaction against um, evolution. It's increasingly used, I think, as a uh, pushback against um, facts about climate change. People saying, well, climate change can't happen because the climate doesn't work the way the scientists do. And I think that is in itself a very uh, dangerous and potent form of conspiracy theorizing. One of my um, favorite conspiracy theories that popped up in the book, just because I had never encountered it before, and I've encountered, I've encountered a lot, so I'm always glad to see fresh territory, was Charles K. Johnson had the idea about the true meaning or the true purpose of the United Nations. And just for the C-SPAN viewership, could you tell everyone uh, what he thought the United Nations was supposed to be for. He, uh, he believed the United Nations was part of a, um, a broad political plot. And, you know, I'm so sorry, the finer details are escaping me because they are um, just so bizarre that sometimes they, they get lost in the, um, just the melee of strange claims. But he thought that it was kind of a one-world government-type uh, organization. I believe he thought that um, a U.S. president would be installed as world president. And 
he was able to craft this really kooky political belief. And again, the very specifics escape me without reviewing his text right now. I, I will say then that the thing that was new to me was the idea that it was originally formed to reveal that the earth was flat and had been diverted from that. That, that was a, um, I shouldn't have laugh out loud moments in the book, but that was when they got me. So I, I and, yeah, go and ahead. Part of the, <laughs> yeah. And part of the evidence he had for that, uh, thank, thanks for the prod there, was that the United Nations flag has a slightly different map of the world, right. a kind of a top-down model, and he thought that was proof. And strangely, that claim has endured in some form in modern flat earth. Uh, they don't believe now that the United Nations are a secretly pro-flat earth organization, but they do believe that there's something to be said for that map of the world and well, why is it being promoted like that? All right, so I said we'd get back to the Nazis, and we should stress for everyone's sake that, you know, the flat earthers watching this, um, that, you know, the majority of people you, you met were not Nazis. Um, usually if they brought up Hitler, it was to compare their enemies to Hitler. Um, but you've got this one group that was doing something else. So Nazi flat earthers, what's up with that? What is up with that? Um, no, unfortunately, there is a um, very small but very vocal subsection of the Flat Earth movement that is involved in extremely far-right politics and sometimes explicit praise of Nazis. This isn't unique to Flat Earth when it comes to conspiracy theories. When you think about fascism and Nazism in the historical sense, they were very conspiratorial movements. They falsely blamed religious and ethnic minorities of horrible crimes against the uh, the true people of, of Germany or Italy. Those were, um, those were just really perverse contortions of conspiratorial thinking. And unfortunately, those thought patterns haven't gone away. They can be very easily grafted onto new conspiracy theories like Flat Earth. So one issue that a lot of flat earthers encounter as they move through their beliefs and try and rationalize them is, okay, well, if Earth is flat, why is it being covered up? Who's doing the cover-up? And I think from uh, some very cynical actors and some uh, genuine bigots have started introducing uh, ideas about, um, just outright bigoted ideas about Jewish people into that. And blaming religious minorities for the uh, flat earth cover-up. I don't think most flat earthers are taken in by that, but I've spoken to a number um, who, when I ask who's doing the cover-up, they will squarely blame religious minorities. And I think that's a very dangerous place to be in, um, where these very old prejudices that were themselves grounded in conspiratorial thinking are being rebooted into a new, completely unrelated theory. So one uh, really interesting dynamic in your book um, was that at the same time that flat earthers were um, dealing with, um, you know, realizing that they had, you know, some fascists turning up in their community, um, it's Nazis uh, were getting disturbed by the fact that there were flat earthers turning up in their community. Um, it's like you know, there's there are two like rivals for the lowest um, rung on the social totem pole, and in each a little disgusted by each other. Could you talk a bit about that dynamic? Absolutely. You know, it's so funny because a lot of flat earthers are rightfully shocked and appalled to find that there are people posting 
neo-Nazi memes in our forum. And there are neo-Nazis who will make fun of flat earthers and have a ton of people in the forum say, hang on, I think there's some truth to that. Um, they're very strange bedfellows. Most people don't want to be perceived as a Nazi or a flat earther. And yet um, it's something that they've had to reconcile with in recent years. And I remember reading one um, Nazi forum attached to a Nazi website that this, this website is famous for like never apologizing for anything because it's just absolutely horrible. And they made a joking attack on flat earthers. And so many of their readers in the forum got mad about this that they had to issue a bit of a backtrack. I thought that was so funny that they were willing to say just terrible things about anything, but they realized that enough of their constituency was receptive to flat earth theory that they couldn't afford to bash it on air. I, I want to um, read one more passage from the book. This is from the end. Um, and you wrote, Now it is dusk, and the lights in my city are coming on as the globe rotates away from the sun. These movements, I mean, these moments between day and night are the best time to watch the, sink, the sun sink behind the Earth's curve the way mathematicians and map makers of old used to watch ships disappear behind the horizon. It's the gray, the clarity that comes in the dim in-betweens. Somewhere, statistically speaking, quite nearby me, a flat earther has noticed uh, the nighttime and chalked it up to the sun moving across the face of a flat plane. Tomorrow morning, the sun will rise according to our various models and the day will come again. Either way, at least for now, we'll have to share it. So I really like that. I, I think you've got two great points there, um, one being the need to live in the same society as people who live in you know, very different mental universes, which obviously applies to all sorts of groups that are larger and, and less comic than flat earthers, and also... Um, this idea of the clarity that comes in the dim in-betweens. Um, what, what does this book have to teach us about getting along with people who might not believe in something as weird as a flat world but still see the world differently than we do? Mm -hmm. I think one thing I learned is that um, certain ways of binary thinking and of maybe team-based thinking, I'm red team, blue team, I'm militantly flat, I'm, uh, or I'm a round earther who's only here to make fun of flat earthers, they aren't especially helpful for our compassion or for our um, shared maintenance of reality. It's difficult to upkeep a relationship with someone with a very fringe belief, and especially if that belief is harmful, like um, religious bigotry. And yet, the world is so big that you can't just wall yourself off with people who agree with you. I think we need to make space for people to come back from conspiracy beliefs. And we need to have uh, conversations that persuade more than just argue. I think those arguments can cause people to become even more entrenched in their beliefs. So although it's difficult, um, I found it heartening, I think, to have productive conversations with flat earthers. And I think we need to leave the door open for people to return to reality and for us to welcome them back and reassert some sanity together. Well, with that, um, thank you again for being on the, uh, the show. The name of the book, again, is Off the Edge uh, by uh, Kelly Weil. Um, 
And it, it's, there's a lot of interest in this book. And thank you for coming. And, and we've only scratched the surface here um, in this hour. So thank you again for coming on the show. And uh, congratulations on the book. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's Afterwards podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, listen to C-SPAN's podcast about books. Learn about the latest nonfiction books and best-selling authors. In each episode, we report on bestsellers lists and book reviews from around the country. You'll also hear authors talking about their latest books and insider interviews with nonfiction book publishing industry experts.